Um, Actually, is it two weeks since we last, last did this? We're doing these again. Whoa. It's as if it's a proper podcast. <laughs> yeah. People are asking us when it's going to be released. Like it's oh the momentum is growing. Uh, Finally, after eight years. For, uh, for uh, this month, I tell you. Well, I still can't believe that that one <coughs> episode, whatever it was, got over a thousand downloads. That was the um, the boot camp for the mind yeah, thing. Yeah, Dar- Darren Brown. Darren one? Brown. Is that one? The one? Yeah. I wonder was that a load of bots listening or something? That can't be possible, can it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I'm not really sure how the whole bot thing works. <laughs> don't just go I think you'll have it figured out. It'll be too to late. It'll be random be our, podcast. Be, yeah. But anyway, so, right. I actually need to leave in around 45 minutes, but I think that's probably right. a good... Okay, uh, let's that's move good, this thing yeah. along here. Yeah. But I think that's a, that's a good... Uh, I think we'll be able to get it done. Yeah. This time, as we're only talking about two things this week, yes. we are talking about... The, the Deepest Breath. The documentary, The Deepest Breath. Yes. Excuse me. And... and by Destroyer. Destroyer. I yeah. thought it was the other way around. I thought the band were called Kaput and the album was called Destroyer. Other way around. And I always just think it's one person, but apparently it is a whole band. Seems to be. But the, yeah. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. So first okay. up, we're talking about... Um, the Deepest Breath. Deepest Breath. And here is, as we just agreed, my intro to this. <gasps> this 2023 documentary tells the story of Italian free driver Alessia Zacchini and her attempts to break a world record. When her path crosses with Irish safety diver Stephen Keenan, it seems like a perfect match. Laura McGann's film contains beautiful and horrific imagery as we see the extraordinary underwater environment and the extraordinary effects that environment can have on human beings when they push themselves to their limits and beyond. <laughs> um, so, Thank uh, you very much. How did you breath the entire time oh, during that intro? Purple there at the end. Thanks for reviving me. Uh, I'm glad you didn't pass out. That is terrifying to watch. Okay, right. So, so this I, was your suggestion. Yes, and yeah. I basically told every single piece of person I've met in the last... Basically doing this, so to stop Lorraine talking, <laughs> talking about, about it about anymore. The I watched it, I think, maybe a month ago. I'd heard about it a, a good bit before then. My One of my friends, Ruth, who might be listening, Hello Ruth, if you are. She uh, is a producer, was a producer, and she knew the director, Laura McGann, who's an Irish woman, and she invited me to a screening of the documentary, and she said that it was was doing really, really well in festivals, and it was getting, Mm. there was a lot of hype about it. And then I heard from other people as well who were, who knew producers uh, on the documentary as well, and there just seemed to be a lot of buzz about it. And then I was meeting other people that said that watched it and loved it. Anyway, so I eventually ended up watching it, and I absolutely loved it. Like, I couldn't, love is kind of a strange word for a documentary like this that's actually quite tragic but I could not stop thinking about it for days afterwards and then I ended up actually watching it twice along with Barbie I watched it with my mother on her birthday (laughs) we went from one extreme to the other but as I said in the show at the last time uh, my mother actually knew the story going in because people had been talking about it I kind of did too because I think there's another show out there that has this in it okay I, want, I can't remember but it was all of a sudden became I was halfway through going oh is this the one about and then I it was right okay so I kind of seen something there must be a rival is there a rival documentary possibly I haven't heard of it now people do seem to know about one of the main characters who's Stephen Keenan who's an Irish uh, freediver so some people seem to have heard about him Mm. already I hadn't heard anything I didn't really know anything anything about about freediving at all other than it was starting to become really popular I I am quite fond of the the Wim Hof method and obviously that's all about holding your breath and that it's different to freediving though in Mm. that apparently when people do freediving courses they're told not to do the Wim Hof, that there's a different what's, breathing what's technique. What's breath-holding thing for? I think it's just, apparently, it's supposed to, well, one, it's supposed to kind of calm you down and help with your mental state, but apparently as well, it's good for your physical okay. health as well. So uh, you do it only, you might only do it for like one and a half minutes, two minutes, something like that. Okay. One and a half minutes yeah. is, is usually it. But a lot of it is just to kind of, you know, calm you down or kind of get you into a balanced state, mm. say in the morning or nighttime or whatever it is that you do it. So um, this is, sorry, go on. No, no. I was going to say, so this is about free diving, which for those who don't know, it seems it's a sport where people... Um, pull themselves down to, uh, via a weighted mm-hmm. kind of cable, I guess. Yeah. And so they hold their breath at the surface, obviously, then they head down and they're trying to reach a certain depth and then come yeah. back up. So mm-hmm. it's all about how deep they can dive. It's, yeah. You know, and uh, so it, the film opens up with this, I think it's an unbroken shot 
of somebody doing a free dive? I think there actually is a cut in it because that free dive is four minutes and I think the actual shot is only two minutes but it's really well edited in that it looks like you're just watching a continuous shot and you so you're watching somebody dive down and I don't know if you did this but you kind of almost hold your breath. Yeah as soon as I did I was kind of well let's see let's see how hard this is 15 seconds later I was (gasps) so this is so we're watching a person and I don't know if we know actually for sure at the start whether it's a man or a woman we you don't, you don't, don't really, really know do. because they're they're in their scuba yeah. gear and everything not scuba gear but wetsuit and all of that and they're holding their breath scuba and, gear would be a yes, like bad worst, idea <laughs> worst free diver ever yeah. <laughs> this guy's brilliant at free diving <laughs> <laughs> and I found out as well because I did I think I did ask after watching the documentary mm. why don't why can't they why can't the scuba people go down further and apparently you can only go down a certain depth with those oxygen tanks oh, before right, okay. it'll all explode yes. <laughs> and that would be a very bad thing but uh, yes you're watching somebody who's clearly trying to do some sort of attempt world record right. attempt or something and they're going down along this rope holding their breath but also swimming to these incredible depths and then coming back up again and it feels like it goes on forever oh my god it's awful and, and then, there's a, is, is part of the free diving thing because you looked into it more than I have but it, 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 is it that there's a moment where it almost becomes like a free fall yeah so apparently it gets to a stage where I don't know what meter it's at but apparently it gets to a stage where the pressure of the water will actually start pushing you down and you go into free fall right, so you okay. can see at the start the person is is uh, bringing themselves along with the rope yeah. but then it gets to a stage where they're starting to free fall so they're actually being pushed right. down which yes. must be an amazing but also terrifying feeling to be pushed down by the water yeah, yeah. I guess we'll get into a little bit later about the motivation of, of people who do this. But so watching that, and I didn't really spot the edit in it as such. But I guess I didn't know that it was a four-minute dive at that point that mm-hmm. that was actually cut to do because you only find that out later. I think yeah. that, what the time was. So anyway, they're bringing this person's coming back up. They've got the two uh, safety divers with them. And they get to the top and you can see them start to flag and the energy Just start to go. Just at the top, and they're, yeah. about, they're literally a foot from yeah. the surface and yeah. they're gone. Yeah. And then they oh. have to be lifted up almost by the head yeah. above the above the water. And the exp- we were talking about this yesterday with a few people, but the expression on this person's face as they're coming to and you can see their brain has mm. been starved of oxygen a little yeah. bit. and you, It's just the blankness on that person's yeah. face. Or it was almost like they were kind of trapped behind their own face yeah. a little bit and trying to get back out. Yeah. It was horrific. It was horrific. It was and so I just kind of thought, shocking. Who would try this a second time? <laughs> <laughs> that did Let not alone. work out the yeah. way I thought it was going to. <laughs> did you see my face at the end? It's just... How but did it, it go back? Yeah, you know? th- so this was within the first maybe five, ten minutes. It's mm. the opening of the film, really. And uh, you see the person's face, yeah, and they're just... Completely passed out, but their eyes are wide. I've never they, seen somebody's eyes yeah. so wide in their head before, and it's absolutely horrific. I it's was so awful. shocked by it. I found it mm. so shocking because then you don't know. Then did this person die? Because then it just cuts into the story yeah, yeah. about this free di- Italian free diver, Alessi, Alessia Zacchini, and she is the a women's world record holder for freedom. Yeah, and she was trying this stuff at such a young age, but then yeah. she was forbidden for doing it until she was 18, 18 or something like yeah. that. Yeah, she started off in a pool, mm. wasn't that? So she yeah, would yeah. do, you know, whatever, it was 100 metres, something crazy like yeah, that. Yeah, um, completely submerged. Yeah, yeah. completely submerged without, with just one breath, and so holding her breath, basically. And then it got to a stage where basically swimming pools were too small for her, so she wanted to go into the sea, but then, yeah, she had yeah, to stop yeah. until she turned 18. Yeah, and again, it was uh, it was all as a documentary. It was all quite standard, kind of at that point. Mm-hmm. Now we'll, we'll come to it a little bit. We're going to get to a spoiler kind of section of it because, yeah. and there'll be a, a time stamp in the notes to tell you where that is, and we'll mention it. But it's uh, you know, so so far so straightforward. Apart yeah. from that opening scene, so then it starts to tell the story of Alessia's kind of uh, interest in the sport and. Um, and how that grew and how she became very well known for it. Mm-hmm. And that's when her story crosses over with... Stephen Keenan. Yes. So he's an Irish-born... Uh, was he a free diver or was he He was a dive instructor? He, he was, was... I think he was a scuba diving instructor yeah. uh, eventually. He kind of was somebody... He, he travelled around a lot. He, he, yeah. ne- he didn't really kind of... 
he didn't seem to kind of want to settle down in kind of the traditional way. So yeah. he would kind of do things like go off to the Congo to see the gorillas and do these kind of, uh, you know, amazing things that most people wouldn't sure. do. But then, and I think it got to a stage where he thought, OK, actually, maybe I should stop traveling around the r- world because he was kind of putting himself in these situations that ended up being quite dangerous yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, I think he traveled around a lot of different countries in Africa mainly. Uh, so he, I think he had decided he was about to come home and... Then before he came home, he decided he was going to go to uh, Cairo in Egypt and become a scuba diving instructor. And he loved that. And then he found out about free diving and he yeah. kind of fell in love with it. So then from then he stayed in Cairo. It kind of became and his he, home. Yeah, he developed quite a reputation yeah. for that. Yeah, he, he opened yeah. up his own um, diving company yeah, and then yeah. he became a safety diver. But then right. it kind of got to a stage because he had a couple of dives that didn't go well. And the right. safety team, I think he blacked out and basically the safety team didn't know what to do. So right. he didn't want that to happen to any other divers. Yeah. So he decided to he was going to invest his time fully in becoming a safety mm. person, which is basically the people who stay around the free diver. They, they can only go down to, I think, 50 metres is probably the, the deepest they can go. So right. if anything happens after that, the free diver is kind of on their own. But okay. from 50 metres up, they do have safety people. And even 50 metres is so far yeah. down. So they're there to help in case the diver gets into trouble. Okay. And he got a name because he helped save. There was a Russian woman who was the uh, world record holder uh, freediving um, for women and her son was doing a world record attempt and he got into trouble. I think it was 50 metres down or something. Right, it was okay. quite far down and Stephen went and got him and brought him up and he kind of yeah. became a bit of a legend then in okay. the freediving circles after that. So um, the uh, Alessia was... Uh, had she set a record at this point? She... She had, yeah, she had set different records, but she hadn't beat. I think she was. I know she was going for the one hundred meters or one hundred and one meters. Yeah. So there's this sequence in it where she's competing against another woman and the Japanese woman. Yeah. Yeah. And and she She sets a record, and then instantly she beats it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. She might have having a record for like ten minutes. Yeah. And and but it it seemed like at this point they were. It was at a game of inches almost. Yeah. Because. Like it was so hard to get. To, what was the one hundred and one and then one hundred and two? I think eventually she got one hundred and four. Alessia got one hundred and four. Right. Started off as 100, 100, 101, and then Alessia went up to one hundred and four. Right. So it's and was that the dive that she came back up on? And she that, was that was the that wasn't the dive where yes, she yes that was she it. So the, the so then we find out. So we go back to the very first shot that we saw, which was her passing out. We yeah. find out that was her and that was had kind of passed out. And that was she was in the Bahamas. I've forgotten the name of the championship but it's basically the world record oh, so it wasn't attempt. that attempt with the Japanese woman it, well it was one of them they get four oh, okay. attempts and okay. that was one of them and she actually blacked out so during this um, in the Bahamas when she was doing her world record attempt she blacked out three times right. and apparently people kept telling her you need to stop this this is really really dangerous oh, and they I gotta were, go again <laughs> <laughs> yeah. three and times because apart from the fact that you know you could die down there when you black out mm. even if you make it back up they started talking about this thing that could happen with your lung I've forgotten the name of it now but basically it's like um, scar lung or something like that but that right. you can put so much pressure on your lung that make you irreparably damage yeah, it, it and that did yeah should, and that yeah. did happen they talk about that this happened to an American diver and we yeah, see this yeah. American diver but they tell us that he actually died from that yeah. uh, and I think they have footage of that and everything but um, so I think she blacked out two or three times Stephen Keenan was there this is how they met um, and he was the safety the main safety person there and then he was watching Alessia and he kind of knew even though he couldn't dive as much as her he knew that there was things that he could teach her that right, would help okay. her so they spent I think maybe then a couple of days or maybe a week yeah with him training her basically and then when she attempted it again then she got it with his help basically so did you feel in the documentary that they were in a relationship together but the documentary is trying to hide it from you no I didn't think it was trying to hide it because I kind of knew from the start because the father Alessia's father talks in the documentary Mm. and he says oh they were he says something like they were a lovely team or they were a lovely couple and we see photos of them together where they look like they're a couple I felt that the that it was trying to kind of downplay that a little bit. Oh right, okay. Like it felt like they were, you know, that they had they were they had a spiritual kind of connection between them, but it felt like they, they were try, trying to hide that part for to me. I thought. Okay. Because there wasn't any footage of them being overly affectionate to each other in that sense, or not that they should be necessarily, but it, I did get the impression that. Because I was watching, are these two in a relationship or what? Okay, right. Yeah. No, I kind of knew that they were. I suppose okay. probably they didn't. 
they weren't the thing is they weren't actually together that long that's the thing or they right. didn't seem to have much time together right, basically okay, yeah, so yeah. I think that's why there wasn't that much footage but any footage okay. that we did see of them they did seem to be very very close like yeah. I think maybe what the director was trying to get at that was yeah they were in a couple but actually what was more important was this bond that they yeah, kind of but I think together. maybe what I'm picking up on is the fact that they seem to be keeping their relationship a secret oh the two in, of them in, in real life as oh such. right I, I don't know it could be think that, I think probably the way that she was or that she Alessia uh, that she seems just so focused on this mm, goal that yeah, maybe yeah. that she that's that was her main yeah. focus. I guess I, it, it came to mind because she scooched just a tiny bit. Oh, sorry, your excuse microphone, me. Um, Drifting away there. Scooching. Uh, so I guess because we'll come to it in the spoiler territory of it, but mm-hmm. it was where I was kind of starting to suspect that the documentary was hiding certain things. It definitely was uh, hiding certain yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. I thought this was yeah. one of them right. to make the impact a bit more. Okay. A bit more later. Right. Anyway, we'll get to that. But uh, yeah. So yeah. So they they f- start their their relationship and uh, and so then is her career coming to an end as such? Does she feel that it's coming to an end? No, no. I think what happens she has she's done the one hundred and four meters. She gets that. So she is the deepest woman in the world. Mm. But then she gets in touch with uh, Stephen just to see how he is, and he says, uh, oh, "I'm back in Cairo in Egypt. Yeah. Do you want to come over and train with me? Because there is uh, this." archway underwater archway called the archway in uh in egypt that a lot of free divers well not a lot of free divers some people have attempted this and apparently it's one of the most dangerous dives in the world and you have to go through an arch you had the numbers there for how deep it was yeah so this this arch that they're talking about is in dahab egypt and it's called sorry it's in dahab not cairo well i think that's that must be pretty close i'd imagine but anyway it's called the the blue hole and it's a challenging 85 foot long tunnel 184 feet below the Red Sea okay wow that's incredibly deep yeah and it's just so what was the previous record that record that she set for depth was 104 104 yeah so this isn't and this is what did you say 184 uh, four feet down. Down. Okay, so yeah. you have to go down 184 feet just to and get to the tunnel, to the tunnel and then go through. through. Right. Yeah. And, and then back up another 184. And so. then we and we see footage of it. And and the yeah. one thing I would say that I loved about this documentary was I loved the imagery and the cinematography. And it's the, mm-hmm. at the start you see a text flash up that says because of the nature of this documentary, some sequences have been recreated. But actually, the first time I watched it, I couldn't almost tell the difference between the ones that yeah, were recreated were well and the ones it. that were real. The second time then, then I realized, oh, right, okay, I think this is a recreation. But they, they did it so well. But they, so, but they do have footage. I think it must be GoPro footage that she has. Yes. Or, or unless it's a recreation, I'm not sure, of somebody going through the tunnel. And it just looks like the most terrifying thing it's ever. Unreal. And I'm just looking there. If you th- and so she was supposed to go down, get through the tunnel, and then be and met then, by the scuba divers yeah, to go back up because yeah. this is a much longer distance than she's than ever done before. And I think even be, though the pressure might not be the same, the y- distance yeah, is greater. Maybe that's it. Yeah. And so the the plan was that Stephen was going to meet her on the other side to show her where the rope was. So he right. would meet her when she comes out of the tunnel and show her where the rope is, so that he could bring her back up. Because I'm assuming when you come out, you probably have absolutely no idea where he is. It's, it's really really dark yeah, when you're down there, well. so you wouldn't know where to go. So the plan was that he was going to meet her and then bring her back up or kind of guide her yeah, back up yeah. basically um but that so so now should we move to will the, we get into the spoiler right so because it's actually and we're saying just before we started we think we've been like pretty pretty good about not spoiling things recently but it's actually very it's hard, hard to talk about this documentary about this. without think, spoiling it and i think it will tell you what, what for me what it was uh, initially I'd watched a few documentaries about extreme sports and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And there was one called The Alpinist. Have you seen yeah, that? I loved right. that one. Which was really good. It was the one I kind of liked the most mm. out of all of them in a way because the guy who was doing it, he was this guy who was just kind of legendary. Was he a free climber? Yeah, free climber, yeah. So, but he had this, uh, you know, this bizarre kind of approach to it that was very emotional rather than technical yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. But he was apparently brilliant at it. Yeah. Um, but... Watching that documentary, and I guess I don't know if you felt this, but given that we're we're people who, you know, talk about media a lot and we teach it and all of that stuff, and maybe we might end up watching things or pick up on things a little quicker than, you know, normal. Insofar as I was watching that alpinist going, they're interviewing everybody but him. Yeah. It's all archive footage of him mm. and modern day footage of, of them. Yeah. Of, of this guy. 
can't remember his name. But the Alpinist is really worth a, a look. Yeah. So and it was something similar hit me about this. Yeah. But they kind of pulled a slight fast one in a way. They did. And yeah, and I, I noticed that too. I still love the documentary because in a way, so the whole way through when I was watching it, I knew one of them probably had died or possibly both of them. So the whole mm. way through watching it, I didn't know, was it him that died? Was it her that died? Because we actually don't see her either. Yeah. Right up until the very end, we're just hearing her voice. So I didn't know whether yeah. this was next. So obviously that's, I was talking to my sister and she was saying, that's a bit of a giveaway because you could hear her voice, but that could have been an interview from I, you know, I thought years the fact ago. that they, they, we saw his father yeah. Very early on in it. Yeah. Talking about how they were together. Yeah. And stuff like but that. her but father talked as well about that. Yeah. So they did have the two fathers. So I was, no, I know, I think most people, especially people, you know, who maybe watch a lot of documentaries probably did cop early on. I have to say, I actually, up right up until the last minute, I didn't know which one of them had died or right. whether both of them had died. Right. I actually thought towards the end when they were explaining the tragedy that happened mm. in the archway I actually thought possibly both of them died right so so I was fooled so what, what <laughs> actually happened so what happened was, at the end was uh, they apparently planned this safety di- this dive in the archway down to a T they had everything done they had a big safety team it wasn't just like it was Stephen he had a whole group mm. there but then something happened he was supposed to go down and meet uh, Alessia when she came out of the cave and they had this timed uh, properly but she actually ended up coming out of the tunnel 20 seconds earlier than they had estimated and for some reason he didn't go down on time and no, still nobody right. doesn't still uh, nobody knows why he didn't go down on time I'd imagine it was because I was talking about this with my family a couple of weeks ago I think because they were in a relationship and because they were so close he probably shouldn't have been the safety person for yeah, her because there's too many emotions like yeah. it would be so terrifying whereas at least if it's somebody you don't know you could probably detach yeah. yourself slightly yeah, and just focus on your to. job when it's your girlfriend like yeah, how are you going absolutely. to detach from that so I I'd say maybe he just got so nervous about what, what might happen. I know somebody else who said something like that. They maybe he maybe he foresaw something that was going to happen. I don't know if it was that, but I think it's more that he just his nerves got the better of him, and he right. probably wasn't used to that. So he asked for another twenty seconds, ten or twenty seconds. Right, it was quite okay. a long time. Yeah, yeah. So he went down late. She came out early, and they missed each other basically. Right. And then Alessia came out of the tunnel, couldn't see Stephen there because he wasn't there, couldn't see the rope, and started swimming the wrong way which okay. I'm assuming would meant that it would have taken a lot longer to get to the surface or she wouldn't yeah. have gotten to the surface so eventually he does see her so he brings and there somehow is a photo I still don't know who took that photo yeah. but there is an actual photo where you see him just towards the end bringing her to the top but obviously at this stage both of them have been holding their breath for I don't yeah. know how long he brings her to the top face up she blacks out just as she gets to the top but because he's positioned her with her head up she survives but he has his head down and yeah. he drowns, yeah. he, he dies. And she can't do anything because she's passed out. Uh, we hear from another woman in the documentary who's on the safety team and she says she's screaming because she can see that Steve is face down mm. and she's screaming at Alessia, but Alessia's blacked out so she sure. can't do yeah, anything. Yeah. So it's at this stage in the documentary that we see Alessia for the first time. So we yeah. find out, oh, okay, so she lived and Steve died. And maybe for some people that it was obvious that, that was going to happen. As someone who I thought both of them had died, I just thought for me it was even more yeah. shocking because the thoughts that she lived and he died, like how that, how horrific that must have been for her. And I guess, you know, look, if we were all aware of how the documentaries we enjoy are put together, there's an element of storytelling. Yeah, that's withholding the thing. Yeah. Information until, yeah. Because, you know, Real life doesn't play out in a three-act structure, yeah. you know, and you, you kind of need that structure to keep you people You do to interested. keep people entertained, yeah. But you have to balance that with what's acceptable. Yeah, when it's documentary, you have to be sensitive as you well, know, yeah. yeah. And I think they kind of, they rode the line a little bit on that y- one. Yeah, they possibly did. Um, I thought they got away with it just because I thought she, as in Laura, the director, told the story in, in a really sensitive way. When I was watching it and I saw that, I thought, oh, that is a bit of a shock thing there. Should they have done that when it's a documentary about mm. somebody's life? But to be honest, I don't know if it would have been as interesting of a documentary if we knew from the start that but, he had died. Yeah, but uh, yeah, exactly. And I think it, it's it's that case where, as a viewer, or maybe as more as a storyteller, if you're making something, you don't want your audience ahead of what's happening on the screen. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's easier with a, a fiction a piece of work or drama to kind of uh, arrange that. Yeah. But when you are dealing with a string of events that happened in this order and you know where they're ending and you do have to kind of be you want it to have impact and you want it you want to tell a story and you you don't want somebody ahead just 
when is it going to happen? Yeah, the thing we all know is going to happen. When is it going? Yeah. So you do have to do that to a certain extent. I think they got it right. Mm-hmm. And it's a strange thing to be trying to make entertaining in a way. I know. That's but, a, that's, it's, but, it's, but that's all down to how tastefully you do it. And yeah, I think they did. And I think they did it quite tastefully. And, and having said, because I was thinking to myself, oh, I think if I, if I knew the story, I was so happy because I went into the story completely cold and didn't know mm. anything about it. So everything was kind of a surprise and a shock to me. Whereas say, my mother had heard it on Joe Duffy, so she knew that Stephen had already passed away. But she still re- thought it was great. She mm. still So I think you still could enjoy it. But at the same time, for me, actually, that was a huge impact only finding yeah. out because the whole way through I knew somebody had died I knew by the way people were talking that somebody had died and they referred mm. to them as a couple as they were a great couple the, the father said they were a great yeah. team or they were a great couple and right. I really thought when I saw when I heard that they both missed each other that both of them had died which would have been even more tragic mm. but I, I have to say though I it really there was just something about it and I, I actually don't know even still if I know what it was that affected me so much but it's just one of those documentaries or films that I saw that was so emotional and so shocking in so many different ways but I I just could not stop thinking about Mm. it afterwards and I just thought that for me it was my my favourite film of this year Okay, I thought it was the most powerful thing that I've seen in a long time really okay and I really enjoyed it too but I I think once you kind of figure out who who made and who didn't for me with all of that stuff I just go to was it worth it? Yeah, well, this is what it's I was going to ask you. What do you think fr- about the whole freediving thing? Especially that type of extreme freediving. Not, no, you can do freediving courses and sure. apparently they only go down to 10, 20 metres. That's just, you can get a feel I of think, it. I think people have, I know I joke about it a bit, but I think that there's a certain element of this stuff where uh, bragging rights is not the exact phrase for it, but people can't do it and keep quiet about it. They mm-hmm. need you to know they did it. Mm-hmm. They need you, and I think there's an ego involved with right. these people. I really do, and I think this this kind of idea that they could somehow control nature or they can challenge mm. themselves to these this idea that there's somehow this superhuman ability in themselves that they could tap into. And I just think, you know, and I and I know you, you're a fan of the Wim Hof thing, but it, there's a part of that that makes me go. People as animals are a lot less interesting than they think they are themselves. Mm-hmm. They can't accept the fact that they're limited animals in a way. Well, maybe that's but what this it, is all about, though. It, it maybe is, there's but it's always also, something that's looking for something more. Sure, but it's where their way exaggerated expectations meet reality. Yeah. And they go, you are not a seal or a yeah. whale. No, I get you that. You cannot yeah. do this but and I think expect to live. Yeah, no, that's, and know, I, I totally get that. And because I've watched this documentary and other documentaries, Netflix now be, keeps uh, recommending documentaries about... Yeah, sports so I saw, tragedy. Yeah, I saw another <laughs> one about a woman who did diving like that free diving I don't know if it's called free diving but basically she's holding her breath but it's under one of these uh, you know water that's under ice it's mm. freezing cold yeah, water yeah, and yeah. she set a record for that so no I get what you mean that there it gets to say the reality is people who do these type of things they're not going to live for very long it will if they keep, continue to do it it will get to a stage where they die and they do mention again this is mm. another spoiler but we're in spoiler territory now when they talk about the woman the, the Russian woman who had the women's world mm. record who they all of these women who are doing free diving really looked up to and she died as well she went on a dive one day and she just never came back so nobody knows what happened to her so it does kind of seem like if you're going to do these type of extreme sports at some stage the chances are you will die because of it but at the same time I think maybe all of us to a certain extent but I definitely think it's bigger in some people maybe have this need inside them again they're very aware of our limitations as humans but they're kind of not happy with that and they kind of almost have this need inside them to get this high I don't think mm. everyone has it but I think there are yeah. certain people and I to be honest I don't know if they there's anything they can do no to, I think it's how they're wired I don't mean to be critical of them but I kind of you know but they I think there is an element of ego there with the yeah. when we were talking about Everest and I don't know why I put it in a different bracket but I really do and I'm even reading a book at the moment called The Death Zone that I was telling you about about people who climb Everest with that I think a lot of that is bragging rights and a lot of that is kind of you know I, I mm-hmm. don't know how I feel about that because I feel like you can only do that if you have a certain amount of money yeah, if you know yeah, if you're yes. of a certain privilege and everything else but maybe again maybe they just want to reach this certain high with the free diving thing like I got the feeling with Alessia 
Well, I don't know, but that she would be doing this whether people were watching her or not. But also, yeah, I, no, I, I think there's an element of that. But I, but I think, you know, when you look at the impact on the, their parents. I know. No, for the people go, around them, I would not want to be married or have a child who has, has this but, thing inside them. But also, them. I think, you know, with these people, it's kind of like the impact they leave behind them, the yeah. devastation they I leave know. behind them because they like swimming deep. Yeah. You kind of go, I know. Well, you know, but then fulfill that gap that drives somewhere else. See, I don't think they that can. Though. That's the thing. And I think it's in some ways it is quite tragic to be one of these type of people, even though they live these, they probably live these amazing lives while they're alive. And maybe that's enough for them. Like if they said it in The Alpinist and they said it in this documentary as well, like the father of Stephen Keenan talks in this and he, he seems like a lovely, he comes across as a lovely man mm. and you can kind of tell that he's accepted the fact that he sort of says, yeah, I really miss him, but it's almost more grief is a bit selfish because I actually just miss him. But you can, like he brought him diving when he was four or five. You could tell that maybe there was a little bit of that in the father as well. And you kind of got the impression from him. Obviously, he's devastated. He's not there. He wishes he was. But he knows that probably if he couldn't do that type of thing, he wouldn't have been happy. You know, and I know it's such a big price yeah. to pay for that. But these type of people. But I see, I think that plays into the romanticism of it all. Oh, they couldn't be happy unless they're doing this there's millions of things in the world to do yeah there's millions yeah and you can't do this one thing but and if you they, won't be happy but if they get the t- it's kind of like drugs in a way like you but know then, then you kind of go right so it, it kind of veers back into another cliche where you're kind of going nothing will fill that hole yeah do you know what I mean so there's mm. a problem there I think no there is no I think I think there probably is in and some I guess way there's a it's an addiction it. in a way yeah, I don't, it's not that different to, to other addictions no and, and that's true but I mean but but I, th- I think we don't romanticize addiction. Yeah. This was a drug no, addiction. That's that true. We yeah. wouldn't romanticize it. Yeah. But because it's in the beautiful waters of, yeah. uh, of uh, Egypt, you know, and it's. Yeah. But it is romanticized. No, it is. And definitely. Kind of go, um, but it leaves. And I, for me, it's just kind of, you know, was it worth it? I think if you, if you could bring them back and kind of go, mm. bet you wish I hadn't done that, eh? Yeah. yeah, they'd go, yeah, I'm never doing it again. But I, I, I think they there's a, an element of invincibility that they feel yeah possibly and I think maybe like they talk about the feeling that you get when you're underwater and and when you're coming back up as well and that you high the high that you get and I would imagine it's probably it must be some high because I think in order for you to put yourself through that and to Mm. go to that extremes and to risk your life the feeling must be amazing it must you must feel like yeah you're not of this world anymore and that's a very I would imagine that's a very hard yeah but that's the thing but then as they're getting older they're less capable yeah but the need for it hasn't gone away no well that's that's why I think these people they're always the last to know that they shouldn't have done it yeah well that's why I do think with these people uh, even though I think in some ways you know some of the stuff that they do do is amazing I do think it's also a little bit tragic in that you would imagine if they keep going eventually it will catch Mm. up their human uh, your humanness will catch up with them and they will die and that will affect a lot of people but But at the same time if if they're going to be alive and not happy it's I know what you mean like we I was having dinner with my family the other day and uh, we were talking about this documentary because I told everyone to watch it and they'd all seen it anyway before I even started talking about it but uh, one of my sisters got really annoyed at them because she was saying are these free divers and like the whole safety team is around they're putting everybody else's lives in danger I didn't agree with that because the safety no. team they know what they're doing and they've yeah. they've signed up for that they're all divers as well they're, they're happy to be there they can only go to a certain point that's and the thing if they just if they just obey that one rule they'll yeah. be fine yeah yeah yeah. And it, they've chosen it, and everybody who there has chosen it. I don't yeah. think they're putting anyone else. No, life that's risk. the thing. I think it's more, yeah, the devastation they leave behind. But then at the same time, I do think they're maybe just wired differently. And I can, not that I can understand. And it's funny because you and my mother both said the same thing to mm. me after we watched this documentary, where my mother was saying, "I hope you're not going to get involved in anything <laughs> like that." And you, you text me and said, yeah. "You are not allowed to do this." <laughs> and like, luckily, it's funny. Obviously, I'm flattered that both of you think I'm a lot braver than I am. Actually, I'm a massive wuss, but. I think I can understand no, I why people would want I, to I do, do something I like do that. I get it up to a point. But for me, it just goes to all the life that it's cost them. Yeah, I know. all the damage it's done to other people. Yeah. And there's a selfishness to it. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, if you didn't have parents, if you didn't have kids, you could kind of go, yeah, do what you yeah. like, you know. Yeah. But it's not that they can't do what they like. But... You know, there's there's people who've been involved in stuff like this who have left behind children and stuff like that. You, you know, 
I don't care how much they wanted it. They they would want to be with their kids mm. more, I'm sure. Yeah, I think... Do, again, you don't know. People do, are yeah. wired very differently. Do you think it. many people... Well, yeah, I suppose the Russian woman, she had a son. Because I was thinking, I wonder, do a lot of these people actually not end up having kids in that? Because that would be a little bit more yeah. understandable because there are such risks. just the puts on their time and lifestyle. Yeah. But I think, yeah. Well, that's the thing. But then the Russian woman, she actually did have a child. It was her son that Stephen uh, saved that time, but she actually ended up passing away. But again, the way he talks about it, see, he was obviously brought up in that household but mm. again he said you know she died doing what she loved I know it's a, it is a different mind it's frame I think it's though, just you know? but I think it is also probably Nobody just a different to die doing what they love <laughs> yeah but at the same time it's also probably just a different mind frame than what we're used but to I, I think because we don't think like that sure. you know but but there might be people who do the amount of mental gymnastics that people have to do to justify it and rationalise it yeah probably is, a lot yeah huge, but know? but Apart from the whole the the issue of free diving, even that I think it is interesting to watch mm. these people doing these things that are just you know humans really shouldn't be able to do, and kind of it does always get to a stage where they're not able to do yeah. it anymore. But in general, I did love the documentary. There was just something about it. I find it so compelling. Mm. I find the story really compelling. The characters in it were great. I know it is kind of a bit of a not a shock scare, but it's a bit of a you know it's obviously manipulated a tiny it's bit towards the of end. Hand here and there, yeah. where you kind of go, actually, it was him. Yeah, died, yeah, but in general. You know? Yeah, but in general, yeah. I thought they they handled the story. Yeah, really they did. It was an A twenty four. Yeah, it was. Yeah, again, and you so. could kind of see that a little bit in the reproduction or recreation. Yeah, of yeah, and yeah. those beautiful slow motion wave yeah. shots at yeah. the start. Yeah, it was lovely, and the imagery and the cinematography yeah, was amazing. Just I just loved it, and it's amazing that it's an Irish woman who's directed, and it's doing so well yeah. in festivals there. And you the know, world. my my criticism of them for, for it's all just tied up in just how sad I feel yeah, for them I know and yeah. just how, how sad I feel for their families yeah. and what they've lost I mean if they <laughs> can pull these things off it's great and everything but you kind of have to wonder you're chasing the same feeling again and again mm. and when's it going to be enough and well it's because yeah, if you have to go down to these depths to escape from whatever it is well you're not addressing the thing that's sending you down yeah, there, you know. I know and, yeah. You know, there maybe there's another way to do it. And for me, watching, I was kind of going, the, the holding the breath is the impressive thing to me. The depth Four is not minutes. You yeah. know, just do it in the bath and hold your breath. I'll be just as impressed, you know. <laughs> I, don't the, yeah. I don't get this. Now I must say, even though it would be absolutely terrifying, I would imagine it probably is amazing to be going down mm. into the oh, depths so, somewhere that nobody's ever been before. It would be terrifying. I've seen those. That, uh, I, they look like um, spots under the water where it just, it's like a cliff edge where it just drops into the abyss. Yeah, yeah. And some of them are a big circular shapes yeah. where you, and you kind of go, just the idea of being above that much yeah. emptiness. And, but it's also that, you know, that, uh, what do they call it? Uh, in, interrupting thoughts or what do they call it? Intrusive thoughts. Intrusive thoughts. Yeah. Where, you're standing on the edge of a uh, of something, yeah. and your brain is going, oh, just, just step off there. What is the story with those dogs? <laughs> yeah, and it's, oh, but it's it's that kind of you know just giving into it and going. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing. It, it must there must be such yeah. a freedom to that that I think we don't normally feel and I'd say once you go there we, we were just having a talk about uh, naturalism there before yes. we came in here with some other <laughs> staff members about say like naked swimming and things yeah. like that and I, I like it's, you know, on, a, on a, like a much smaller scale imagine it's a very similar thing in that once you allow yourself to do mm. it it actually probably feels a lot more natural or just yeah. the freedom you would get with that there's not many things in life I would imagine where you get that high but the problem with things that are that high is you're going to be constantly chasing yeah. it and if you constantly chase it it will catch up with you mm. at some stage so that is the issue but maybe that is kind of the tragedy but of being also, human though isn't it yeah, in a way but it's the law of diminishing returns isn't it and just kind of it'll never be as great as that the first, first time. Yeah, it. yeah. You know, that's why they're always going for something but else but it's the lack of acknowledgement that you've had this experience that maybe can't be recreated you can get close maybe and yeah. but how much is enough yeah you know? well it and seems like with some people it's never enough I, th I think the problem is romanticizing it yeah you know and saying oh that's just the way it was or you, you know and all of that stuff just kind of goes for me i just kind of no i don't buy it it's mm. uh but would you recommend the documentary i definitely would i definitely yeah. would. It's, i thought it was fantastic I thought it was and you great. know Again, it's just the sadness of it, the loss of it, and just the impact on their parents and yeah, just losing their children and just I know, the natural order of it. And you can see, especially with her so father, young, he's you know? probably just constantly worried about her now. And, he has, he, and I'd say, how old was she when she passed away? Uh, uh, no, she's still alive. Oh, sorry, when he passed away. Oh, 39. 39. So, I mean, 
he was halfway through his life. I know. You know? Yeah. And I know. That and also, was so the sad. The thing about it was yeah. he died because of a of a stupid mistake. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's the safety officer and he messed yeah. up. Yeah. You know, and it cost him his life. And it's just kind of, but it just shows you that, you know, you can't control these. Yeah. Like, no, you can't. Yeah. Ultimately, gravity's going to win yeah. on the mountain, and, and yeah, uh, you're going to run out of air yeah. eventually. Under we are quite arrogant as humans. I know what you mean that we we I, think, I think we, we can overcome don't nature realize sometimes. How, how physically fragile yeah. we are. We're no, not built for the things yeah. we're trying to do, and that's the challenge. Yeah, but it's accepting that you can't. Yeah, there's certain know, things. Is it accepting your limits, or is it kind of knowing when you've hit them? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and, and maybe is, not. You kind of push against them as much as you can, but being realistic about the, what they were. I remember. Uh, Dave was uh, our friend Dave Kern, who who had his own podcast in Spireland, which is still up, I think, if mm-hmm. people should check it out. Some great interviews on it. But he was talking to a geneticist mm-hmm. on it and was kind of asking about, you know, do we have particular genes that could be activated for various different abilities and right. stuff like that? It's usually it doesn't really work that way. Okay, yeah. And I could hear the disappointment in Dave's voice I know. because we all have this kind of x-men type uh, idea of our genetics so we could just unlock these I things know, and just yeah. turn them on and we could yeah. all be flying and just, i know because i'm watching a lot of stuff about water at the moment obviously and this thing came up for me called mer people on netflix and it's people who are professional mermaids i'd like that like you could tell so. they just they, they go out and they have all these they put these fins on they get mm. paid for this at like parties and things like that but if somebody told them you know if you do this you can actually turn into a real yeah. life mer you'd be <laughs> half in the water half in the sea they were half in land half in the sea they would definitely do it like there is there's something yeah, in us think I think the reality of being half fish really. yeah I know but <laughs> turns out it's the top half because of the fish yeah. oh this is terrible <laughs> but no I absolutely loved it I'd really I'd yeah, no, I'd, I'd recommend, really recommend it, it. And, and you know I, I kind of back and forth and I kind of going I get why they do it yeah like we all have a drive a creative drive or whatever it is to do a thing the thing I I have the creative drive for and I can't switch off is safe. Mm-hmm. Theirs is not. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So yeah, that's the know, thing. They're yeah. gonna come a cropper in yeah. a way that I won't. Yeah, but, but I think I even understand just watching, the not turning it off thing. Yeah, you know? and even just <clears throat> watching people who have that to watch is quite interesting from a yeah. safe distance. So, but I wish they could just have that high, and it'd be enough for them. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. I know, and just kind of realized, know you know, that they did something impressive and uh, great and life changing, and you don't need to do it forty more times. Yeah, because mm-hmm. if you still need it after all those goes again and again and again, there's another thing you're not addressing. Yeah, no, know? definitely, I think yeah. so. Yeah, but, but, she, but they, she's they both seem fairly well adjusted people. I know that's the thing. You I know? think it's just there's just some people who are just built a little bit differently yeah. and then how they're brought up as well and all of that both of them kind yeah, of did this from a very young again, age but perception meets reality kind of mm. you know I thought I could do it to, yeah. you know but uh, it, it did seem particularly risky to me oh yeah no that and one was so and, and she's still yeah and she's still um, diving at the moment actually recently in 2022 she went down to 117 meters wow yeah so like and it's amazing and she has a picture of her and Stephen on her website and it's right. you know it's quite sweet and sad yeah. but like it's terrible to say it, but if she will continue, if she continues to do this, you would imagine at some stage it's not well, going to end well. So just, you know, maybe she could keep going and then hopefully retire. But it, it doesn't seem like people like that do that. But we'll see. But I really, I would thoroughly recommend the documentary. I thought it was great. But it's like in that documentary, the the, the point where it all goes wrong is the point where there's a leap of faith where you have to trust that everything has gone right, mm. and you know, and it's kind of. I, I don't think that was a very well calculated risk. No, just probably not. I think they probably got just got caught up in something. the yeah. excitement of it. Anyway, yeah. thoroughly recommend. Yeah. It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix, yeah. And yeah. it just came out in the last couple of months, so it's yeah. pretty pretty so it's new. There, so yeah. oh, it's doing really well. Okay, yep. brilliant. Okay, Excellent. and will we move on to Kaput? Yes. Okay, so Kaput was recommended to us by Shane Ahern, uh, as it is Shane's favourite album, as he calls it. And he's, after doing up an intro for us, so this is Shane's intro. Kaput, released in 2011, is Destroyer's ninth and most critically acclaimed album of the 13 since they started releasing music in the mid-90s. It's a synth-pop masterpiece slash unusuality 
starring lead singer from Andante Harris, unique lyrics and vocal delivery that make it stand out for better or for worse. Dan has stated during interviews that he's more interested in painting situational imagery rather than constructing stories. Thus, his lyric can appear scattered and incoherent. According to Dan, it's up to the listener whether or not it lands and has any significance to them. I, for one, have found significance. He can appear somewhat pretentious at times, repeating lines such as I've seen it all in the sprawling closing track Bay of Pigs, but I find it endearing and take him as a character, whether or not he intends to be seen in such a way. Unlike musicians such as Alex Cameron, who is clearly playing a sleazy character in his music, Dan is more like the South African duo De Antwerp, who take themselves and their image quite seriously, despite many laughing at them, but simultaneously liking the music. It's a place reserved for few, straddling the line between caricature and authenticity. While I enjoyed the album when it came out, particularly the title track Kaput and Chinatown, I found it meandered and struggled to hold my attention for the entire album. It was only in the years that followed and upon countless plays that I found I never tired of it and loved it more and more every single time. I found this unusual, but I didn't fight it. Is this some kind of Stockholm Syndrome? Or does familiarity play one of the leading roles in why we like music? Seemingly, the more familiar I was, the more I liked it and the less I wanted it to get to the good bit. As an album, it sets a certain mood for me. A kind of a summery, sunny mood. The first thing I'd put on if I ever came into the possession of a yacht as I sailed out into glistening waters from some Greek port dressed head to toe in white. Lorraine, well, I'd like to hear your thoughts on, on, on music taken by the listener in a way not necessarily intended by the performer, but enjoyed nonetheless. And uh, how important are lyrics and songs to you? Do they have to make perfect coherent sense for you to get anything out of them? And one final note is that one time when I was at a Destroyer gig in Whelan's, I shouted out Bay of Pigs as a request. Without a second to consider a response, Dan replied, Bay of Pigs is a glint in a baby's eye. That's the type of man that Dan Behar is. Certainly a self-described poet. Is it good poetry? Who knows? But it makes me laugh. Thank you, Shane. Okay, uh, so. Thank you, Shane. <laughs> Has he never heard that joke before? No. Find out. He will now, though. <laughs> so I had I had listened to this uh, because I knew this was Shane's favorite album, or I okay. thought one of his favorite albums. Anyway, I had actually heard this album quite a lot before he recommended it. So you hadn't heard of Destroyer before? No, I hadn't and, heard of the okay. band either. Right, uh, okay. which is not too surprising, you know. I guarantee our 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 other friend Nicky will have heard of it. He's a more finger on the pulse of bands than I am. Right, but um, yeah, so I hadn't even heard of them. Of Destroyer, you know? right? So this album came out when. It was 2000 and I know it was after 2000 2011. Yes. Okay. So I'm surprised uh, that I haven't heard of it before. It reminded me of a few different things. Uh, so what was your first impression when you heard it? Yeah, I really liked it. And uh, when I, I'm trying to remember what I thought when I first heard it, which would have been a couple of years ago, because Shane would have always talked about uh, the lead singer, Dan Behar is his mm. name. He's uh, Canadian, but I think there's also some Spanish in yeah, there as he well. He did not and, look... That no, look, he looks. Not match he, that voice yeah, when I yeah. Up, you know? yeah, he looks quite Spanish. Actually, I, I was expecting the nerdiest, whitest guy. Yeah, I know, because he, he sounds like that because he's got this very funny voice and his lyrics are very funny. So Jane yeah. would have been kind of you know joking about that and, and doing impressions of him, which were quite funny and, and very accurate. So that's what I thought of when I thought of Destroyer. I think he might have, I mean, might have even heard him doing an impression of him before I heard mm. the album. So I was expecting something even maybe more over yeah. the top. But actually, when I heard the music, I loved it. I really yeah. liked it. And it's funny because Shane, even when he recommended this, he said, you know, I'm expecting both of you maybe to not like it so much. Now, I'd obviously listened to it before, mm. but he didn't know whether you'd like it or not. I but I wonder was, because it's I think it's very straightforward. It's, and it's very yeah. easy listening. I find, And yeah. I mean that in as a compliment. I think yeah, sometimes yeah. people can say easy listening almost as like not an insult, but as if it's not hard to do. But I'm assuming oh, yeah, easy listening is incredibly very hard to do. It's in terms of it's the the. The chords that are involved mm. generally tend to be a bit more uh, complex than. And I, but music. I listened to this, and I kind of thought this is surprisingly straightforward. Now yeah. it's got a lot of um, lovely uh, 
dissonant kind of undercurrents of noise that are yeah, kind of... Yeah, which is lovely. And which you hear a little reverb. bit more on each listen, which yeah. is really nice. Yeah. Too. But it... But in terms of song structure, it's very traditional. Mm. Now, uh, what I did like, did you notice how some of the, the songs, they, they change quite a lot? As in, yes, they'll change yeah, from yeah, the beginning. Yeah. Like, there was a couple of songs, and I really like this when this happens when I'm listening to music, that I'd obviously heard loads of times, you know, in the background when we'd be, you know, uh, driving around and just have the album on. Uh, but when I was listening to it kind of intentionally this time, I was thinking, oh, I don't know that song. Like, for example, I think it was Blue Eyes and... Uh, uh, suicide demo for Kara Walker. I was thinking, I've never heard that song before, but then it would song kick in. Song two and four. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard these. <laughs> and, then, and then I was I thinking, track four. Yeah, I know, that's the thing. And then I would hear, it would kick in and I would realise, oh, I actually have. But it sounds, because I only remembered kind of the main part and I didn't remember the start of it. But I love that. I love mm-hmm. when I'm kind of surprised by a song, especially when it's yeah. a song that I like. And I found that happened quite a lot. And like I'd heard that song loads of times, but I actually didn't recognise it when I started. And it almost like it was, sounded like it was coming from a different artist, okay. which I loved. But um that actually is a collaboration I found out afterwards with the artist Cower Walker. Yes. And he adapted her words. So she provided him words on cue cards and then he adapted it then. But I just love the fact that it's so dreamlike. And a lot of the album is a bit like that. It's quite dreamlike. Yeah, it's absolutely. quite ethereal. There's lots of reverb, which I love. So that kind of ethereal sounding. Bay of Pigs is similar as well. I think it starts off almost as one song and then it ends up sounding completely different towards the end. That's the very last song on the album. Yeah, I, I that felt out of place to me, that well, song. I have read reviews as well where they talk about that that it sounded out of place. But I think I it was previously released somewhere else. I think I it's read, it's from it's, a different yeah, yeah and it feels like it. Do you think now, so? Yeah, I, I made the mistake of listening to the deluxe version oh, of the album, what's... which has eleven tracks on it. Okay, and there's one called the Laziest River. Oh right, okay. No, I have. Now some of these appear on the vinyl track a version right. of the album. And, okay, but the Laziest River is twenty minutes long. Oh right, and, I haven't now, heard that Bay one. Pigs is thirteen or so, but. Laser, it is very good, mm. but and it's a, it's a lovely kind of very straightforward song in, for most of it, but it doesn't earn its twenty minute runtime. Right. Okay. And so I was listening to the album, go, geez, this album is kind of running out of steam a little bit. Okay. And there's still like uh, two more songs to go. This is on the deluxe version. Yeah. So it, on the deluxe version. Laziest River is number nine, and then Bay of Pigs is number ten, and then another track called Grief Point. Uh, which is another eight-minute track at the end. So really oh, right. okay, yeah. adds another 50% to the album. In a way. Oh, the right, okay. The rest of the song okay. quite short. Yeah, no, that's but, not the um, version that I would normally listen to. No, and, uh, but Laser River was very good. Too long. Bay of Pigs, I didn't like. It was okay. It okay, was okay, right. It just didn't feel like... You know, I, one of the things I really love about an album is... Uh, the albums that work best for me is where you get to the end of the album and there might be a track towards the end where it kind of gives you a sense of where this is where the band is going next. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's the case here with Bay of Pigs or whatever, but up until that point, I wasn't getting a sense that, I think it's a lot of songs are starting to sound quite samey to me. Okay, right. And I think, and not, not that there was anything wrong with any individual song, I was just kind of, it was the same instrumentation on each song. Uh, the time signatures don't change that much. It just had a very steady kind of, this is the next song and this is the next song okay. and they're all good and there's nothing. But it just felt like, felt like a set of songs rather than an album. Okay. I don't know if that's, right. that makes okay. any sense. But yeah. it, it was, but I, I really, there's not a song on it that I, of the album itself that I didn't like. I really liked um, Suicide Demo, mm-hmm. which I thought was a really lovely song, and I loved um, Blue Eyes was great. Yeah, and what's the Savage Night at the? Oh yeah, Savage Night at. I should know this because I've listened to this so many times now. At the opera. Yes, uh, I really like that. I thought it was a great. It was what a about ex- uh, Chinatown? And yeah, Kipot. I liked it. I, initially, when that first that song first started, there was a very piercing snare drum. Yeah, just in the instrumental opening, mm. but then it settled down and. Yeah. Um, I thought. Uh, I listened to it again this morning on the way in and I could hear uh, on the second listen I was kind of oh yeah that's there's more in that song than I thought there was and uh, I, I really enjoyed it mm. it reminded me of there's a guy that Nikki introduced me to there's a guy called Dent May and he has two records one is called one is Across, across the Multiverse right. and the other one is called uh, is it Late Registration something like that anyway, Dent May right Dent May is like the the more commercial version of this. This is very commercial, okay. and very melodic, but yeah. it is very much a kind of uh, 
if you took this and you kind of shifted a bit to the right to make it a bit more mainstream and mm -hmm. a bit more commercial and a bit more poppy right okay you feel like that okay and it, it said you could tell that the, all the influences are there because you know this guy loves steely dan yeah uh, well i was gonna say that it kind of reminded me of steely dan in that it's uh, this music that again is very easy to listen to but you can tell that the, the musicians take mm -hmm. it very very oh, seriously yeah. and, the, and that they are real musicians who take yeah. their art seriously and that was one thing that Shane talks a lot about uh, in his intro and kind of asked the question of because basically this guy Dan Behar you can tell I don't know if you saw any interviews with him did you? I saw one where he was doing an overrated underrated oh yeah I saw that as well yeah that's that, yeah. great so you can tell and from other interviews as well you can tell he takes himself and his art and his work very seriously but at the same time one of the things that Shane was saying that he likes about it is that he finds it quite rather than finding it kind of pretentious or pompous mm. he actually finds that quite endearing and that but he's obviously not playing a character so the way some people yeah. some musicians might be playing a character this is actually what he thinks and he also thinks of himself as a poet as well and Laura's in here taking photos <laughs> and he thinks of himself as a poet as well and, and that his words are poetry so he was wondering like is that something you consider when you're listening to music are you thinking about the, the artist and kind of how seriously they take it or can you kind of separate that from just listening to the music and enjoying the music yeah he came across as very um self-effacing and very uh like he didn't take himself too seriously you know yeah uh but and i thought there was a lot of humor in 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 the music as well like yeah it some seems very like funny that lyrics. also lyrically he reminded me of a band called the wave pictures okay who i really liked the, musically you wouldn't kind of compare them in any way but just that sense of humor you yeah know, that, almost like that sense of humor morrissey used to have mm. <laughs> yeah know? another person who took himself very yeah. seriously but at yeah. the same time you kind of yeah, they said themselves a little bit as well. But yeah, so I really liked it. And, you know, there's parts to it where it's kind of going, you know, the song is quite predictable in a way and that I kind of know what's coming next because, and I don't mean this to sound pretentious, but if you've, you play music, you know, or you have any understanding of theory, you, you know those videos where it says, all of these songs have the same chords. Mm. And it's not that they have the same chords, they just sort of chords have the same relationship to each other. So yeah. And so after once you kinda of learn those tricks, you could kind of start predicting what the next chord will be. And there was an element of that, but they were always underneath it doing something against that to kind yeah. of you know so like he knows all of the tricks of songwriting, yeah. but he also knows how to divert yeah. it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it, it felt like know. there was a lot of different things going on yeah. in the songs at the one time, which I really liked. And I, I just love the fact, you know, I love dreamy music and I just yeah, find yeah, most yeah. songs had that lovely, dreamy, ethereal sound to them. And I just think it's it's the type of album that you can kind of put on whenever. It's, mm. you know, you, you know, the way there's certain music I find anyway, I kind of have to be in a certain mood sure. to listen to. Yeah, but yeah. this, again, because it's so easy to listen to and kind of smooth, it's almost like lounge music. But again, I mean that in the best way possible yeah. I think that could no, be taken love, up as, uh, as an insult easy listening kind of thing. like Steely Dan like, yeah, like you can exactly. kind of put Steely Dan on at yeah. any stage as well and it's like if you uh, the, the Steely Dan album that reminded me of most was probably Gaucho Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, uh, mm -hmm. One of my favorites. But yeah, it's, uh, no, that is a great one. Now, I was uh, there was one thing I did notice though uh, that's different. And oh, sorry for that little silence in there. Uh, Laura, our colleague, just oh, came yeah, in yeah. and started taking we, pictures we, we, of we us, so we didn't know what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> so we just <laughs> stopped and yeah. speaking for a couple of seconds. <laughs> but uh, there's a song called Blue Eyes, and the backing singer on that is really, really prominent. And yes, I, I've, I've yeah, noticed yeah. that on a couple of different tracks, which you don't normally hear much in music now I find unless the backing singer is somebody who's very well known yeah. that she is a Canadian singer I, I do like to, somebody I, I, from mean, I love backing vocals on things and just harmonies and uh, but he seems to have more backing vocals than harmonies in a sense yeah but, uh, yeah it seems like that yeah yeah but uh, I really enjoyed it his, his lyrical uh, sorry his, his singing style was an odd one I thought yeah. but very enjoyable <laughs> and he funny, had a weird yeah. weird like I think it was the second song which is is that Blue Eyes yeah, uh, that's the one where it seems where he mentions New Order at the start. And, yeah, but also he has this weird kind of pushing and dragging kind of thing with the timing yeah. of the lyrics, where he's yeah. almost like he's catching up with the beat and then yeah. he's a bit behind it. Or it's a bit almost ahead of it. it sounds like it's almost like lazy singing, but it's but nice. It's very, in a very very yeah. He kind and he purpose. also sings in almost this British <laughs> type accent, yeah, yeah. even though when you hear him talking in interviews, he has kind of a, a Canadian American yeah. accent almost. And that'd be like a moment funny. where like. 
what's the name from Anchorman? Ron Burgundy will almost pop up on Yaz flute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the flute. But it's, the, it's so well played yeah, and it's so tasteful well, and that's the you know, thing, it really yeah. makes it work. Yeah, there's there. something very funny about the album, yeah. I find, but at the same time, it's also very good. So yeah. it's this thing of being very good, but also a bit funny as well. And I think, I think when he's reined in a bit more on the more the shorter pop songs rather than something like Bay of Pigs or yeah. the other one the what was it called the bigger piece the laziest river which has a great I haven't pop heard song that song so I must that. I must listen to that it has a quite a long well played slowish it's not dissimilar from the suicide demo one but then there'll be a break for a bit and then a, a slight instrumental it'll come back and it's just not enough to sustain right. that length you okay know? yeah yeah <laughs> but you do end up going is this going to end? Are you just using up all your ideas here? Yeah. Um, the, the singer on the album, by the way, is Sybil Trasher. She's a Vancouver singer. Right. And apparently she, she sang all the vocals on Kaposh, apart from uh, Dan Behar. But I just thought that was interesting because that's not something you hear all the time where the backing singer is so prominent in sure. songs. I kind of thought, I find that almost a bit, when I listened to it, it really stood out to me. But it's nice in a way that and he's it, giving her so much airtime. Have you heard any of their albums since or before? Yeah, I've listened to other albums. Um, again, now I can't remember the names of the albums, but I know there's one called Bad Blood, which I really like. That's a single. Uh, but I have, yeah, again, because Shane would be such a big fan of Destroyer, I've listened to a good few of the albums, but Kaput would be the one that I know the best because that's the one. Uh, where is it? Just, is it Destroyer's Ruby? Of... Actually, do you know what? I think I've probably only listened to two albums. I think maybe... Yeah, I've listened to this album. Rubies is one that one of those other songs came from. Okay, right. Right, that was from 2006. But Kaput is the one that I would have listened to the most. No, I'm completely wrong about that. Disregard. Okay. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, they seem to have a lot of records. Yeah, they uh, do, yeah. But I've listened to different uh, singles from the different um, albums, but actually I can't. This is the one that I would be most familiar with. Looks like they've got about five releases since then. Right, okay. But I think he's I'll a very. I'll check him out though because I really. Yeah, I think it, you'd know? really like him. That's the yeah, thing. Yeah. I was surprised that Shane was so really thought. Oh, we might like it because again, it's so easy to listen to. I definitely thought you'd like it because again, lots of chords in there, lots I of different harmonies, and verses, choruses, all Sixes that sort of and stuff. I could hear <laughs> yeah. in there, they were great. But uh, would we recommend it? Yes, definitely. Yeah, I definitely recommend yeah, it. Yeah. So that's a uh, Kaput. It was released in 2011. It's available on Spotify. Just, uh, so thanks very much yeah. for the suggestion Shane yep absolutely thank you so much anybody else wants to suggest anything well actually seeing as oh, uh, the myself have <laughs> opened who is it now well it's my new best friend Maggie hi Maggie oh, okay. oh, um, this is uh, yeah, uh, this. Uh, Will's friend who is now my new best friend and Will is not happy about that <laughs> <laughs> I just so, don't appreciate it I feel I've created a monster here <laughs> so we were chatting the other night and I was telling her about this that we were getting people to uh, suggest albums right. we were starting that up again I said actually maybe you could be the next one and sorry Jonathan because I did actually tell Jonathan that he could be the next yeah, one. I mean, make could, a promise might, all over town, <laughs> I can't you? keep. <laughs> it might have to be Maggie first, but because uh, Maggie's helping me with my terrible Scottish accent, yeah, so I, I, I need I to give her it. something. Anyways, she suggested somebody, which, sorry, Maggie, I've automatically, I immediately forgot the name of the person, but she said it's someone that she's recommended to you a couple of times and you keep saying, no, I don't think you'd like it. So whoever that person is. Right. I'll find out the name of it. So there will be a suggestion from Maggie. She didn't think I would like it. Yeah, she okay. apparently she suggested to you a couple of times before. It's a man, and you're saying no, he's just not my thing, and she, she keeps <laughs> saying no, you're gonna. I'm telling you, just give him a chance. So no, she did recommend something again. I'm blanking on it, but that I did end up liking. Okay, it's actually funny because she recommended it to me, and I listened to it for a minute. I made it like, oh, I don't think so. And then right. a few months later, I go, have you heard of these guys? They're oh, really right. good. And it was the same. Oh, the same person. Okay. That's well, what I'll, you're dealing with there. I'll find out the name of that. Yeah. And uh, anything you're listening to or reading at the moment or I'm watching? I'm really enjoying the Blur record. Okay, uh, right. Which is really lovely. And um, just a great, uh, you know, a band who are still in it. Yeah. Who are still, How you know. they keep them going? Still so going good. for it. and. And there, I saw. I watched the gig they did. It's on. Uh, it's, it's BBC Radio Six gig. Right. That they did for a relatively small venue, and it's just. It was inspiring just to see how much they were still into it. Right. And yeah. Just how much it meant to them, and they weren't gonna rest on their laurels. They just went for it like yeah. they were. 
22-year-olds. Oh, that's Amazing. brilliant, Absolutely. yeah. And just the friendship there was just mm. great to see. It was lovely. That's great. So, uh, I love that record. It's really, really strong. Brilliant. Uh, what about you? Uh, yeah, I'm actually listening to two things at the moment that I'd really recommend. Possibly one of them we could maybe talk about on another episode, but one was recommended to me by Roger, our colleague Roger, mm-hmm. colleague and friend Roger, called The Left Right Game. It's an audio he series. He recommended to me that. It's very good. I started yeah. listening to it. I I'll, really... I'll, I'll, we'll, yeah. Maybe that'll be an extra yeah. one of the things we do next. It's a radio I'll, drama, I'll but it's yeah. great. So I haven't listened to a radio drama since Limetown, which I loved. Um, but this one, it's surround sound. I think apparently they're they're actually it's the brand who are making Sonus. the documentary Sonus yes yeah, so yeah. I think it's them but it yeah. doesn't feel like that it doesn't feel like this is just a, a yeah just, it doesn't feel like it's just a vehicle for that but the sound is amazing right. and it really does feel like I've been listening to it on headphones but you can listen in the car but there was one time where somebody talked in my left ear and I, I was out watering my plants and I went <laughs> I actually did jump it really felt like there was somebody yeah, yeah. right beside me wow. so it's brilliant you really it's an immersive experience so, and it's, right. it's brilliant that's, that's and the good. other thing that I just started listening to I don't don't normally listen to fiction books okay. but I was looking for a new audiobook and um, uh, I saw that on the list of you know the best audiobooks of this year there was a book by Anne Patchett, Patchett which again I've never read any of her books mm. and Meryl Streep reads it and okay. it's called Tom Lake and I just started listening to it this morning and I love it it's okay. actually I forgot how nice it is to listen to fiction but a lot of it is Meryl Streep obviously it's just so good she's yeah. got such a lovely voice It's yeah. there's something so kind of soothing about okay. it or that so yeah. I started listening to that it's about a woman who she's just recounting this to tale to her uh, daughters about when she was an actor for a while and she had an affair with this man who ended up becoming pretty much uh, like our version of Brad Pitt basically so she's kind of recounting that story but it's lovely and just to hear Meryl Streep saying it as well it's, I, I keep reading reviews by people saying I did. I just didn't want her to stop talking yeah. I didn't want it to oh, end so it's yeah. nice so yeah I definitely recommend that as Brilliant. well that's okay, great. so that's it for until, for this evening or for today. What time, time is it? Could <laughs> yeah. be within another two weeks. If yeah, we're, if I know if we keep up this yeah. rate of going along. This is frantic pace. All right. <laughs> okay. Until then. Nice time. Bye. Sorry, I had to miss. Bye, there. Should we talk about it?